You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, I feel like I need to set the scene for the people at home. Set it. For this week's podcast. Set that shit. So I just got glasses today. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so I'm standing on the wall like my name was Poindexter, or I was Poindexter, Young MC. Yeah, no, I got you. I think you're right the first time. You showed up with one of those little travel packs of tissues. Yeah. Like a grandma always has in her purse. Okay. And a, uh, what is that, a s'mores-flavored Starbucks iced coffee? S'mores. I've never had s'mores before. How is it? This will probably be my last one. Because um, I tell you what, my anticipation would be that it's gross. I don't know what I was expecting from a s'mores-flavored frappuccino drink, but uh, I don't feel like I got it. Anyway, I have to do something to s- soothe my terribly sore throat. Uh, and my travel plaque of Kleenex is because... I'm away from my normal home Kleenex and have to adapt to the situation. True. So, I might not make it through this one. Wait, no, wait now, though. Fact check. You are still sick from before or newly sick with a different sickness? I think I might be newly sick. Well, that makes me feel great that you're here breathing all over the kitchen. Yep. So not only will I be a nerd with glasses, I'll be a feeble, sick nerd with glasses. I'm going to try and touch as many things as I can on my way out of here. Three rounds, as usual this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, so Kimbo versus Dada 5000 turned out to be the ice, ice baby of MMA fights. Is that a good song? No. Does everybody make fun of it? Sure. But when it comes on the radio, when you're alone in the car, you might turn up the volume and rap along with every damn word. Except, I guess, unless you count that time Suge Knight allegedly held vanilla ice over a balcony, nobody almost died after Ice Ice Baby. And in round number two, Donald Cerrone is back. And by back, I mean he's back to fighting a random dude once every two months. And in round number three, that eerie silence you hear is the totally non-existent lead-up to Anderson Silva versus Michael Bisping. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time. Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. Wow, I feel like I have to pick you up a little bit here. <laughs> you're over the, You're on death's door for this. You know, I feel like I've just been beaten down by the accumulation of maladies that I've suffered in recent weeks. Uh, and I blame preschool. Yeah, preschool is, is it's the worst for that and the best for everything else. Yeah, I feel like maybe I'm, I'm going to turn into a crazy homeschooler just to avoid living out my life in a constant state of illness. Man, I will take the constant illness for having my children out of the home all yeah, day. Yeah, I guess I will too. Once you send your kids to preschool, you wonder how you ever managed when they were at home all day. Yeah, and you maybe start to think about uh, that boarding school you keep Military school for there me. You go. Yeah. First question this week comes to us from Daniel Anderson. He writes, did Bellator 149 backfire? Watching, I got the overwhelming feeling that the plug was pulled and casual viewers were disappearing down the drain. I was seriously tempted to turn over to Victory FC 48 on Fight Pass, but instead tried to tough it out only to doze off on the couch. This can't be a sustainable format, can it? If not this, then what? Uh, 
It's an interesting question. I feel like I, the last two sentences, this can't be a sustainable format, can it? If not this, then what? That's where I agree with you, but not for the reasons that you stated to that point, Daniel Anderson. Well, we've talked before about how this format probably is not sustainable if for the only reason that all of the dudes involved in it are super old. So you could probably feasibly only sustain it for a couple more years, at which point Ken Shamrock will be 75 years old and you'll have to push him to the cage. He'll drive to the cage with one of those rascals. Get a rascal, yeah. Drive down there with a rascal. Okay, but... Take his life alert necklace off and climb in the cage ready to do the damn thing. Playing devil's advocate, I could turn around and say, there's one thing I can feel pretty assured of, it's that MMA will keep producing new old guys. Okay, that's and that maybe that's a good point. I guess Chris will, Lieben has just stepped in just recently. They will not have so much money that none of them need to keep fighting into their late 40s and 50s. Okay, counterpoint to that, though. If you continue using today's 50-year-old man <coughs> as your top promotable star, is the younger generation obtaining the capital, the political capital with the audience to later become the promotable 50-year-old man, or because you spent these other fighters uh, the primes of their career treating Ken Shamrock and Hoyce Gracie like the stars, are you going to be able to use Patricio Pitbull as a main event fighter when he's in his 50s, or will people be like, I don't know who this is? See, that's, I think, the problem for Bellator, is that at some point you have to transition away from the hey, remember this guy brand of MMA to the, hey, look at this guy that we have. Like, you don't know him, but here's why you should pay attention to him. And that you have to have some homegrown talent at some point if you're Bellator, and there doesn't seem to be a ton of it. There's a little bit of it, uh, but you're right that it does seem that when you put too many of your eggs in the old guy basket, that means you're taking a little bit away of a little bit of that promotional push away from building up and maintaining your own guys. I mean, you could argue that, hey, they'll just wait until the UFC cuts those old guys that the UFC has built up and then, you know, offer them a little money to come over there and fight in some circus fights for Bellator. But I still don't think that that's sustainable. And I think the problem that Bellator is going to face here is that everybody tuned into this one you know they got what like almost two million viewers on average 1.96 million which i think addresses part of the first question that yeah daniel anderson asked yeah no and that's why i think i i disagreed about the the idea that the casual viewers were disappearing down the drain i think it's this kind of stuff that gets the people who don't normally watch mma but i don't think you can do this for very long uh kind of playing the basically joke fight card until you become the joke fight organization right. and then and nobody interested in your for real fights you're trying to tell us that you know you got some homegrown talent you got some guys coming up that we should pay attention to and everybody's like now man where the freak show at uh i think that bellator is probably approaching event horizon on that pretty quickly yeah, I mean, and I think that speaks to the first question that Daniel Anderson asks, did Bellator 149 backfire? I think in a way you could make the case, yes, it did. Previous to this, a lot of people, including perhaps this podcast, had been guilty of allowing Bellator to continue to move the line of what was acceptable from a fight promotion in 2016, dating back to last year when we when we realized that Tito Ortiz and Stefan Bonner were still uh, marketable commodities who scored record ratings on Spike TV. Every other fight that every other tentpole uh, legends 
old timers mash that they've made since then. I would include Kimbo Legends is the versus, nicest thing yeah, you could say there. I, I, uh, Masters Tour. Uh, I would include Kimbo versus Dada 5000 in that discussion, but every one of those fights that they've made since then has moved the line a little bit, has pushed a little bit further into, I might say, dangerous territory. And in fact, we'll probably talk about this more in round number one, but after the open workouts for Bellator 149 on Wednesday of last week, when we got our first look at Dada 5000 out there hitting, hitting pads, uh, I wrote a story on Bellator saying, have we finally crossed the line from fun fight territory to dangerous territory? Because at the time, I posited that putting Dada 5000, a clearly a rank amateur, in the cage with a guy, Kimbo Slice, who, while not a top-level mixed martial artist, can still fight a little bit. Can throw them hands. Could turn out to be dangerous. Now, I was right, but not necessarily <laughs> for the reasons that I thought I was going to be right. But in terms of did Bellator 149 backfire, I think a little bit... Uh, as far as that discussion is concerned, yes, because you're seeing a lot of what you might call hardcore MMA fans, a lot of MMA journalists on the internet this week in the wake of this event saying this changed their opinion of Bellator and that Bellator has gone too far. Yeah, I, you know, I can, under I think you're right about moving the line. And I think we've said it several times, especially I feel like you say it more than I say it, that the rules are different for Bellator than they are for the UFC. And because we recognize that it's hard to slog it out and make your way as the number two MMA promotion in this sport and to try to find some attention for yourself in the shadow of the UFC. And so we understand that Bellator is going to do some things that we would judge the UFC, the industry leader, more harshly for doing uh, because Bellator has to find some way to get us to pay attention. But I think you're right. You move that line too far – uh, and you're not going to be able to move it back again. Right. Uh, and th this feels like, you know, especially when, and I'm sure we'll get into this more later, but when you and I were talking on, on Saturday, the day after this event, we were at a child's birthday at party. A two year old's birthday party. <laughs> That's right. Let's set the scene. And, uh, we were kind of, you know, you, I can't even tell how seriously we're asking about the possibility of a Hoist Gracie versus Kimbo fight. Not seriously, until you start to think about it. Not, yeah, see? Not unseriously. Uh, and we were starting to just kind of name off some potential pairings. And you get, you almost get this feeling like we shouldn't even say them out loud. Because <laughs> Rich Chow might overhear us. Well, or just, he yeah. might He might have a glass pressed up to the window and he might overhear us. Scott Coker is like a spoonful of Raisin Bran stops halfway to his mouth and he looks up as if he just heard something on the wind. A disturbance in the force. <laughs> He's not sure what it is. Like you kind of get the sense that before you started doing, before you started really radically moving that line, a lot of this stuff that's even further past the line would have been unthinkable. Right. And nobody would even bother to try it. But then once you start nudging yourself further in that direction, a lot of things that ha would have, you know, six months or a year ago seemed completely unreasonable now seem dangerously reasonable. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you're, you're the guy sitting in the airplane going, I bet nothing would happen if they open the emergency exit door mid-flight. I bet nothing happened. It'd probably be fine. And even if you're not the guy to throw it open, you put it in everybody's heads. And sooner or later, that, that bad boy's coming open. All right. And this will be the last point that we make on this, and then we'll move on. But I think that the last question that Daniel Anderson asks in this email is, is the million-dollar question, because he asks, if not this, then what? And that is a puzzling question if you are Bellator, because let's be honest, under the Bjorn Rebney 
uh, regime in Bellator, they tried to do things exactly the opposite way. Maybe they didn't do them perfectly, but they certainly tried to position themselves as something that looked like the UFC, and you might even say like the serious and sober alternative to the U- to the UFC where they made a big deal about the tournament format and how title shots were earned and not given and that fell flat on its face and the reason for doing that or the reason that it fell flat on its face is that you can't make your company look like a slightly more generic slightly crappier version of the UFC and expect people to respect it uh and nobody wants to watch that and in fact next week Bellator 150 the title is on the line. The, the Bellator bantamweight title, uh, Marcos Galvao, is going to fight Eduardo Dantes. You know who's going to watch that? Nobody. So if you are Bellator, what do you do here? If It's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, right? Yeah, I guess I would have thought beforehand that the conventional wisdom was you get people in the door with Kimbo and Dada comparing their nut sizes. Uh, and on that same card, you sneak in some of the other stuff. Uh, and yet, I don't know, what did you want people to come away with it that you want people to feel like, oh, I saw Derek Campos knock out Melvin Guillard. I wasn't really, I didn't really come for that, but I saw it. Now I'm excited to see him again. Like, no, no one's talking about that. Right. Uh, everyone is talking about the utter shit show that finished this card. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a matter of, uh, how you proportion it. Maybe you don't want to have two freak show fights at the top of the card. I don't know. I feel like even Bellator is still trying to figure out how do you use this stuff so that it feeds your future rather than just getting you one big pop on one Friday night. Next question this week comes from David Flannery. He writes, did Hoist Gracie saying something to the effect of, quote, when we first fought, it was all legal, end quote, mean that he, in fact, meant to knee Ken Shamrock in the quote-unquote nuts, as Kimbo Slice would say? Or did it mean that it was an accident and he should take it like a man? In my eyes, it couldn't have been an extremely hard shot since Shamrock didn't even react to the low blow until several seconds later when he took a knee to the head. But what do you think? Now, see, that last part to me sounds like maybe somebody who's never been hit real hard in the nuts. Because when you get hit real hard in the nuts, sometimes there is that moment where you feel like if you just could never move again, you might be okay. (laughs) Well, I think that maybe if you got hit with kind of a glancing blow to the nuts, because it looked like the knee itself kind of landed uh, a little bit higher up, but maybe the shin uh, made contact with the cup, and that maybe the the glancing blow sometimes can be worse in a way, but also sometimes maybe it does does take a second for your body to really register that that's what happened. Um, But I don't know about Hoist Gracie's comments. It seemed like he made whatever comments he could make to try to make that that concern go away uh he made the comment oh yeah you know hey we started out in the kind of blood and guts days when it was all legal um then he also said no i didn't need him in the nuts they also said hey you know i I go until the referee tells me to stop what do you want from me and they're all kind of separately to varying degrees valid remarks for him to make um i don't know it we when we were talking about it at the child's birthday party i think that you brought up the good point that um what we saw in that fight was there's one thing Ken Shamrock can still do, and it's totally fucking flip out uh, when he feels like he has been screwed somehow, which is often. Yes, Ken, Ken Shamrock, who is now one and four in his last five MMA fights dating back to July 18th, 2010. Uh, the only win is Jonathan Ivey. Oh, I was going to say, is that the enormous fat dude that he fought? But that was actually Ross Clifton, 
uh, back in 2009. Uh, but he's he's now lost three fights in a row to Mike Bork, Kimbo Slice, and Hoist Gracie, uh, which is maybe an inenviable position to be in if you are 52-year-old Kenneth Wayne Kilpatrick Shamrock. Uh, but yeah, he did a great job leading up to this fight of playing it cool, man. Like, you could tell he went out there and he was like, you know what, I'm going to high-road it. I'm going to give Hoist Gracie his respect, his respect. Everything is going to be cool. I'm going to be the nice guy. I'm going to be the good guy. Then I'm going to win this fight. And Ken Shamrock is back, baby. And then he goes out there and gets kneed in the nuts. And immediately, mid-90s WWE Ken Shamrock, hashtag world's most dangerous man, whose professional wrestling gimmick was that he would quote-unquote snap and become his own worst enemy. That guy showed up after the fight. Yes, he did. Old school Ken Shamrock. Only briefly, he got it. He got control of himself uh, fairly quickly, but you could still see that, you know, the the tiger might not have the claws anymore or the fearsome teeth that it once had, but it's still a tiger in there. Yep, I respect Ken Shamrock for rolling up to the arena with Guy Metzger too, just like keeping it old school. Like he, Ken Shamrock might have ate a whole pizza before this fight, just like he probably did back in the nineties. Uh, the thing is, I feel like, did I learn anything about who is the better fighter between Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie? No. No. Didn't and, learn a damn thing. Okay, and here's the thing. Like, what do you do now? What do you do now if you're Ken Shamrock? Do you walk away on the heels of getting need uh, right there in the pills by Hoist Gracie? What do you do if you're Bellator? Do you take the chance of giving Shamrock another fight? Do you give Hoist Gracie another fight when he's out there fighting with no hand wraps? Uh, was this... The precipice of the freak show legends tour masters series fights for Bellator. Can you go on with this uh, format and do either of these guys ever get back in the cage again? Well, for Shamrock, I think that if you're Bellator, you can tell him that he can't stay here, but you can't make him go home. And I think we've seen that with Shamrock over and over again, that He's going to keep fighting in some form until there is absolutely no one left who will pay him or until he just physically cannot climb the steps to the cage anymore. He's not going to go away easily, especially after something like this where he can tell himself that he got a raw deal, uh, that he didn't even really get to fight. Like That kind of stuff just feeds into the narrative that he's been telling himself for years. He's not going to go away off something like this. There's just no way. He's going to find some way to fight somebody else for money. Uh, and with Hoist Gracie, I, don't, I mean, it seemed like he kind of had to be lured into this one somewhat. It didn't seem like he was really dying to get in the cage and fight any other human beings. Maybe you could see Hoist Gracie coming away from this fight and telling himself that he's still the Hoist Gracie who took on all comers in the one mm-hmm. night uh, early UFC tournament. Mm-hmm. He's still that badass, uh, and Gracie Jiu-Jitsu has reigned supreme again. You could see that then being leveraged against him uh, when they tell him that they want him to keep fighting and fight somebody else who's a little more dangerous to him. Um, I don't know. It seems like Hoist Gracie's one of those guys where you're going to have to convince him to fight again, and Ken Shamrock's one of those guys where you're going to have to convince him not to fight again. Uh, and one of those is a guaranteed losing proposition. Well, I saw this afternoon that the Ryzen Fight Federation tweeted a picture <laughs> of Vanderlei Silva wearing a Ryzen Fight Federation t-shirt. So the good news, if you're Ken Shamrock, might be you got options. You do. Well, Maybe not good ones, but you got options. The uh, the thing about the seniors tour thing, I started, I started to think about this when I saw 
what you referred to as Hoist Gracie's helio body. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he, when he, and you could start to think maybe when he took off his shirt that the, if he, wearing the gi in competition might be the best thing for him because we would not be reminded that he has suffered a little bit from the ravages of age, as do we all. Um, it reminded me though when the IFL kind of dabbled in a little bit of the masters division stuff when they would have some of the coaches fight each other every once in a while. And it was one of the things that they did to get more attention and it worked to get people to pay a little bit more attention. Uh, but then most of the time when those fights actually happened, they weren't often great fights. Uh, and that's, I think the, one of the issues for Bellator is they figured out how to sell a whole lot of sizzle off of not a whole lot of steak. Uh, and though when we see some of these, especially the older fighters get in the cage and we realize, okay, we were sold an idea, basically. We were sold our own memories, repackaged. Uh, and then when we actually saw the fight, we were reminded that those those memories exist in the past for a reason. They're not coming back the way we remember them. I wonder if you're going to get to a point when fans are feel like, all right, I know this trick. I know how this one ends. Even though you got me with the idea of some of these guys matching up again, I know that it's not actually going to be a good fight. And so they stop tuning in. They stop giving it that benefit of the doubt. Uh, and the nostalgia alone stops being enough for them. Next question this week comes to us from Super Rubes or Super <laughs> Rubs, depending on how you want to. I like the first one. Rubes. Super Rubs makes it sound like a different kind of service yep, altogether. Yes, it does. He writes, he or she writes, so we're only two weeks removed from Connor taking on RDA, but for some reason I'm not as excited about this as I was for his fight against Aldo. Why is this? The UFC heavily promoted the Aldo fight, but this one seems quiet in comparison. There's still two weeks to go, and in that time the UFC can do a lot. Uh, they did plenty for the fight against Mendez, but why has the fight, of, why has a fight of this magnitude seemingly, seemingly, gone under the radar please discourse uh i think we've maybe talked about this a little bit on the podcast but super rubes uh just keyed into what is maybe mma's leading conspiracy theory at the moment and that is that things are not well between the ufc and conor mcgregor and that uh the ufc you know in several different ways wanted to let conor mcgregor know we're still bigger than you and maybe one of the ways that it tried to do that was by soft plan this this fight a little bit although uh we're all gonna end up making a ton of money here off this so take that opinion for what it's worth i'm not even sure that i i prescribe to it because it would be a weird thing to do for a company to sandbag its own product to try to make a point right and i don't really see that sandbagging happening i mean sitting through the fight night event on sunday i feel like we were reminded often enough they did an awful lot of promos for this thing finally though and a lot of and promos of conor mcgregor putting out candles (laughs) with a spin kick well and the promos that they've been running for the event just you know with conor mcgregor rda and holly hole and misha tate like i feel like there's a significant amount of promotional muscle being flexed here i maybe it just feels like it pales in comparison to the Aldo thing because they did a damn world tour, then had the fight called off, then had to ramp it up again right. uh, later on. So you just spent more overall time hearing about that fight than you have about this one. This one seemed to have come together considering what it is, a the super fight kind of thing that the UFC has been talking about for years and never quite putting together. It came together really quickly uh, after all that talk. Um, so maybe that's part of what we're responding to. Um, but I don't know. I I am really excited about it because I feel like before when Conor McGregor was beating up Dennis Seaver and you're going, okay, whatever, and then he beats up Chad Mendez and you're going, okay, well, Chad didn't have a full training camp but still impressive. 
Uh, then he goes up against Aldo, and you think, okay, well, here's where the dream comes crashing down, and he knocks him out in 13 seconds. And then even the biggest Conor McGregor skeptics have to start thinking, maybe this guy knows what the hell he's talking about. Yeah. Maybe he's not just bullshitting out there. And then when he wants to go up there against Rafael Dos Anjos, a, a fight he doesn't really have to take, a tough fight, uh, a tough fight in a lot of different ways, and he is really adamant about doing it and doing it right away after he won the title. I think this is where you find out, are we witnessing a a legend being born in a matter of months in the MMA world, which very rarely happens, or are we going to... Are we watching Icarus fly too close to the sun? Right. And that weird part that you just mentioned is that the Dos Anjos McGregor fight feels like it, it is part of that same pattern. Like once again, I feel like you're justified to look at this matchup and think, well, here's the one where Conor McGregor bites off more than he can chew. Has he been wrong yet? No, he has not been wrong yet. And, and he keeps taking these bigger and bigger challenges. And every step of the way, I feel like people continue to doubt him. And eventually, you do got to kind of bump your head up, up against the glass ceiling, I would think, uh, because, you know, there's just so much that will be possible from a mortal man, unless it turns out Conor McGregor is the greatest fighter in the history of fighting, which I guess is an outside possibility. In a weird way, this Dos Anjos fight also feels like another placeholder fight, even though it's a big-time uh, super fight. And is going to probably do good numbers on pay-per-view. This is one that people inside the UFC, I think, are just very much waiting to see what happens in it. Because if McGregor wins it, then there ain't no there ain't no way in the blue hell that you're not getting Conor McGregor versus Robbie Lawler main event UFC 200. Like that's what you're doing. <laughs> period. I'm not. I'm not even going to entertain these discussions at this point. I'm not going to talk about the man having three UFC titles before he has two. No, we'll you're right, but I mean that's what's happening. Like we're waiting to see. If you're the UFC, you're waiting to see what happens in this fight. Because if I mean McGregor may well end up on the UFC 200 card no matter what. If he loses it, if he loses this fight, he might end up fighting Frankie Edgar. If he wins this fight, they're doing Robbie Lawler. There's just no no question. Not going to discuss this with you. Not going to discuss this. Well, and Robbie Lawler's probably winding up on that card no matter what. Because just if you just do the math with what's going on with UFC champions. They're not going to have a lot of other options. Anyway, next question this week comes to us from uh, the Jesse White Deer. He writes, so Melvin Gillard drops another one. What are your thoughts on his current state? He's 1-4 in, in his last five with his last win over Jay-Z Cavalcante. Uh, please discuss if you would be so kind, please, and thank you. Uh, this is a tough run for Melvin Gillard uh, and, and seems to be another one of those situations where a guy uh, – gives everything he has to the UFC and then leaves the company and goes and signs a contract with another organization, in this case Bellator, uh, and immediately upon his arrival uh, kind of has nothing left, it appears. And and even before that, when he fight, fought uh, Justin Gaethje in World Series of Fighting uh, before he even came to, to uh, Bellator. But yeah, tough road for him. Yeah, that one was a tough one to watch and where it started to seem all at once like the 32-year-old young assassin might have too many miles on the old odometer. Uh, and yeah, I, it's one of those where I don't want to jump too far to a conclusion on saying Melvin Guillard needs to be done. Uh, but it, I got the same feeling watching him as I did watching Joe Riggs on uh, UFC Fight Night 83. And they're actually about the same age, even though they both seem like they should be much, much older just for how long they've been in this game and, and at the level that they've been at it. Uh, but 
when you see guys like them who have so many fights and have taken so much damage come out there and just get run right over uh, by somebody else, that that is when you start to get a little concerned. Um, and I don't know. What, if you can't make your comeback in Bellator, where are you going to do it at this point if you're Melvin Yard? He's already tried World Series of Fighting. He's already done uh, put in plenty of time with the UFC. Where do you go if it's not going to work out for you in Bellator? Yeah, and again, maybe a little bit like Ken Shamrock, he seems like a guy who is going to continue to fight as long as there's anyone in the world who's going to give him money to do it. So maybe we see him wind up overseas. You never know. Last question this week comes from Brett Carroll. <coughs> Brett Carroll, he writes, Even with his chakras aligned, the big homie Emmanuel Newton came up short in his rematch with Linton Vassal at Bellator 149. Given the repeated low blows in this fight and wacky excuses for his last two losses, do you think Newton is losing focus in his career? And where does he go from here in Bellator's lightweight division? Please discuss. Thank you. Well, Ben, we talked last week leading up to Bellator 149 about how this was one that the big homie Manny Newton didn't want to lose because he had lost back-to-back fights already against current Bellator light heavyweight champion Liam McGeary and uh, then incoming UFC fighter Phil Davis. Uh, so this rematch with Linton Vassell or Linton Vassell was, was one that uh, he had to have. And then he went out there and looked real listless and lifeless and committed some fouls and... Uh, came away on the short end of a unanimous decision that didn't stoke our confidence for the big homie's future. Yeah, I think that the most disturbing thing about it is not that he didn't win so much, but that at times it just didn't really even seem like he really wanted to be in there. You did not see a whole lot of fire from him and at times just looked disinterested. Uh, That is the thing that makes you wonder what's going on with the big homie. And I'm sure that there will be an awesome excuse uh, that comes out of this. I think, you know, if the Phil Davis fight was an example of what happens when you have sex three to four hours before the fight, stupid sex, as it's been called, um, I can't wait to hear about the just Caligula-esque orgy he participated in before this fight with Linton Vassal. Yeah, while he was standing back there behind the Bellator uh, set, the video screens, he had stupid sex back there. <laughs> just sheer moments before he came out, so... That'll set you back. I don't know, man. With the big homie, what do you do if you're Emmanuel Newton and you slowly start to come around to the notion that perhaps the universe does not have your back and that your protons, electrons, and neutrons are not in as much of sync as you hoped that they were? Man, see, the that's the stuff that when when I see him walking out with a Bible in his hand and referencing the Bible, and I just I wonder when he reads the Bible what words make it into his head from that because they don't seem to be the words that I recall actually being in the Bible. Um, I guess if you feel like the universe did not have your back as much as you thought it did here, this is where you are at least glad that you're in the Bellator light heavyweight division where there's a bunch of weird shit going on anyway. And as long as you're like, he's still a person I'm interested in just because I want to see him show up and and do weird interviews still. So if you tell me it's going to be, you know, Emmanuel Newton versus uh, one of the, the old-timers in the light heavyweight division or just one of the weird fights that's left that they haven't done yet for him in the light heavyweight division. Sure. Sure, I'll watch that. But I, it's not going to be enough to be the weird dude forever. You know, you're going to have to win some fights. That's going to do it for this week's listener mail. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you want to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. 
That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes and MMA that we missed uh, from Tuesday through Friday when we're not recording the podcast. It's short. It's humorous. It hits the highlights. We think you'll like it. And if you don't, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, as it turns out, both Kimbo Slice and Dada 5000 probably do legitimately have enormous nuts. Because consider the audacity that it took for Kimbo Slice and Dada 5000 to promote their heavyweight fight at Bellator 149 to the extent that they did in the way that they did and to show up at the press conference swearing a blue streak at each other and threatening to whip their testicles out for the purposes of comparison, knowing full well that neither of them had trained one day for this fight and that neither of them were going to go out there in the physical physical condition necessary to go even three minutes without getting winded. You're saying that maybe what that conversation should have actually looked like was Kimbo standing up and saying, you got baby audacity. You don't got the, the audacity. I'll show my audacity right now. I am so audacious. I will talk mad shit knowing I have not prepared well at all for you this fight. You got baby cardio, Dada. Uh, this was <laughs> kind of an insane hype job, right? In retrospect. I mean, I guess that doesn't surprise us. It doesn't surprise us that, as you said in the intro, we were sold our own memories. And then it turned out that not even those could be lived up to by Kimbo Slice and Dada 5000. Uh, but like in comparison, and we've let, let's be honest, we've seen stuff like this in the fight game before, right? Where we are sold a bill of goods that then is not, does not deliver on by the fight. But in terms of like the sheer spectacle of the promotion as compared to the piss poor product that was then delivered to us, man, it's hard to think of one where there was more disparity. Yeah. I guess. What, the more I thought about it, the more I thought I should not be that surprised with Dada 5000. No, the cat was out of the bag once we saw him show up trying <laughs> yes. to hit pads. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he's not a pro fighter. He's had a couple fights years ago. He's not, he does not do this. He's not about this life. But they came to him. He saw an opportunity to make some money and he got in there. Apparently did not prepare well at all. Uh, did not cut weight well at all. And again, if you, if you have to cut weight to make the 265 pound limit and you're not like 6'8 or something, uh, then it might be a sign that lifestyle wise, you have not been doing the right things to get yourself ready for, for a professional fight. But Kimbo, I think we have a right to be a little bit more disappointed with because he has been fighting and he's, he's done this enough. He knows what it's like in there. And yet he showed up against a guy he should absolutely demolish just skill-wise and got almost instantly tired. And really, if the if he'd been fighting anybody with any skill or with any sort of cardiovascular conditioning, would have lost. Yes. Would have lost this fight that was basically just handed to him. 
Uh, the guy fell let's, down on his own when John McCarthy removed his hand from Kinbo's glove, and then without that to help him stay upright, he fell down. That's how he won. Well, and Kimbo also laid down in the middle of this fight of his own accord as well. I don't think we should move on without making the point fully that Kimbo Slice barely beat Dada 5000. And in fact, the reason that I half-jokingly asked you at the two-year-old's birthday party if you thought Hoist Gracie could beat Kimbo Slice was because I came away from this performance feeling like Kimbo Slice looked so bad that short of perhaps Ken Shamrock, who we all know he just defeated, I'm hard-pressed to think of another active and halfway recognizable mixed martial arts fighter or even recognizable retired mixed martial arts fighter that I don't think would beat Kimbo Slice because he looked that bad in this fight. And for the record, I got hoist. <laughs> Helio body and everything? I mean, yeah, man. All you got to do is run around the cage for like three minutes. Kimbo gets tired. Then you don't you, don't you think Hoist Gracie ends up choking out Kimbo? Or catching him in something from his guard? I mean, come on. Yeah, I was thinking when watching, and I wrote a little bit about this today, but when watching UFC Fight Night 83, and it led off with a heavyweight bout on Fight Pass uh, between Anthony Hamilton and Shamil Abdurakamiyov, nailed it, uh, and watching it, you know, they go three rounds, it's a pretty active heavyweight fight, they're tired by the end, but not exhausted, it's a technically sound fight, and realizing... Oh, these guys, are, both of them, are way better than both of those dudes. Either one of them would absolutely wreck Kimbo Slice and Dada 5000. You could probably have them fight both those guys in one night, and probably both these dudes come out the winners, uh, and nobody gives a shit. It does not matter that they are much better heavyweights fighting in the curtain jerker on Fight Pass on a UFC Fight Night card that itself nobody really cares about. They're definitely better than the dudes who get a whole round dedicated to them here on the CME and who everybody seems to be talking about after this weekend. Um, and yet we don't care because we got so into the hype job of Kimbo Slice and Dada 5000. I tweeted during the fight, and I still think that it's true, that Kimbo and Dada had what I believe to be the worst fight in the modern history of mixed martial arts. I feel like it was that bad. But like I said in the intro to this, it kind of turned out to be the ice ice baby of fights. And so I'm wondering how much credit or uh good feeling i guess are you willing to extend kimbo slice versus dada 5000 because of the mystery science theater 3000 aspect of the fight that developed during it where because mma has such a a an active social media contingent and everybody is on twitter live tweeting about the fight like this was a terrible fight but everyone seemed to enjoy it like everyone seemed to have a great time watching it because it was so bad well, and because we kind of knew it was going to be bad, right? We didn't know it was going to be this bad. We didn't know it was going to be bad for this long as it lasted. We didn't know it looked exactly like this, but we all knew that this was not a serious fight, right? That this was not, we were not expecting this to be a really technically proficient fight from these two guys. And so I feel like maybe since we all thought of ourselves as in on the joke, also since it was on free TV and we did not have to pay a single dime, uh, as long as you already have the cable package that gets Spike TV or you're at a bar that does, you know, you're not as invested as you are like when the UFC sells you a pay-per-view and they build it up and then on fight night the fight doesn't really deliver. Your expectations coming into this were different. It's like, you know, I remember going to see uh, one of those Larry the Cable Guy movies. Uh, Hold up, what? With my wife. Uh-huh. Uh, How remember, high were you guys? On uh, a scale of one to really high. I think we went in there with uh, a couple of 
things of Dr. Pepper and some vodka in a plastic okay. bottle. All right. Uh, snuck in my wife's purse back when we were dating. Back when Missoula still had the Dollar Theater. Okay. Over on Brook Street. Yeah, no, I'm starting to, you're painting a picture. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's a dollar to see a movie. Like, it would be like after the movies got out of the real theater, but before it's available to rent or on any of the movie channels, you pay a dollar any time of day. You go in there, you see the movie. Uh, and we were grad students with not a whole lot to do, so we were like, all right, we're going to pay a dollar, we're going to get drunk in the theater to watch this Larry the Cable Guy, Delta Farce, that's the one where he's in the military or something. And we go knowing it's bad. And if it were seven fifty a ticket, we wouldn't bother with it. But when it's only a dollar, and we don't have anything to do, and you know we'd be just like drinking at one of our homes anyway, we might as well be drinking and making fun of this terrible movie. And so it's kind of an enjoyable experience when you go there knowing that it's going to be bad, uh, and your expectations aren't that high. The question I have is, after we learned that Dada 5000 nearly goddamn died doing this thing, that's when it starts to feel like, oh, hold up. Maybe like this less isn't, of a lark. This isn't all just harmless fun and games. Right. It no, reminds I, you that this is serious shit here. Yeah, I absolutely totally agree with you. It takes a lot of the fun out of it <laughs> when, when one of the particulars nearly dies after it's over. And it raises a lot of valid questions, I think, about Bellator and about the Texas State Athletic Commission and just what the hell was going on allowing uh, Dada 5000 to get in there and fight and, and nearly kill himself, I guess. Literally nearly kill himself trying to put forth the effort to have this professional fight against Kimbo Slice. However, I also feel like I'm a little bit of two minds about the outrage afterward, right? Because I do feel like there's an aspect of it that, to me at least, says we would really like to pretend like this This is consequence-free entertainment. And, like, we pretend that during every MMA card and fight that we watch, when, in fact, that's not true. Like, these people are getting beat up super bad, oftentimes even when they win, and I think if we saw them the day after, and which you do sometimes when you actually go to the event, uh, it can be startling to see, like, the physical toll that is, uh, you know, exerted on, on these professional athletes. And so to find out that Dada 5000 goes to the hospital and, and it suffers some kind of physical calamity that almost led to his demise and to suddenly be like, Oh, wait, this is dangerous. I mean, that strikes me as disingenuous because we're supposed to know that anyway. Yeah. But there's certain elements of danger. I think that we've made our peace with, or maybe just become numb to because it's such a constant part of the sport. The, the punching each other head in the head part of the danger, the I might just be so ill-prepared for this that I make myself sick, basically. That's the part, I guess, we're not expecting as often. And then that's the part where it just reminds you, like, oh, yeah, no, we're used to real professionals doing this, people who know what the hell they're doing and are surrounded by other people who know what the hell they're doing. And when you take somebody who does not fall into that category and throw them into this, bad things can really happen. Right. Like, it does make it a little less fun. And I, I understand what you're saying, though, about uh, the, the I don't want to say fall outrage over it, but the concern, and I, and I think that there's a good conversation to have about, is stuff like this just, are we thinking of it as harmless fun and really long-term it's going to be bad for all of us and bad for the sport? And I think... Uh, Danny Downs and I discussed this a little bit in Trading Shots today. I remember, you know, 10 years ago when MMA seemed like it was in a different position, our answer, I think, would have been different. We would have been a little more protective of the sport and a little more concerned that something like this was going to be bad for the sport. 
because you're constantly worried about that back when, you know, MMA was barely on TV, surviving on the internet mainly, and you were always concerned about bad for the sport. And now it seems like we're just comfortable to a point we don't really worry about that anymore. And I think that in a lot of ways that's a good thing, and I think it's good to remind, remind ourselves that this was, this began as a spectacle. Uh, mixed martial arts and that's kind of always going to be a part of it it's always going to be a little bit of the circus of trying to get people into the paying customers into the tent um, but at the same time you if you want to be taken seriously as a sport and you're taking guys and throwing them in there who can't even look after their own health uh, well enough to do this sport um, you can't have it both ways either as fans or as promoters yeah, and if nothing else, I feel like it's a good reminder of why the sport, at least in theory, grew up from those spectacle days and uh, decided that sometimes not all fights were worthy of being made because they could, in fact, be dangerous. And and that's why you need quality oversight and an athletic commission that, that is, at least in some regard, interested in actual safety and uh, promoters to be a little bit uh, more, uh, I don't want to say moral, but like... Promoters that look out maybe for for more than just the bottom line or ratings or their best interests. Do you think that this one felt like a close call uh, to Viacom and to Bellator and to Scott Coker and everybody once they realized uh, what was really going on with Dada 5000? Do you think that that's when they thought, oh, wait a minute, we could have really been in trouble here? Yeah, I mean, I it should have because I think it was. Uh, and that's a weird thing to try to say about Scott Coker who, like, you know, through his time in Strike Force has always been regarded as a really good promoter and like a good steward of the sport and like a, an earnest gentleman who, uh, will do the right thing for the sport and is here mostly for the love. It's, it's odd now to think about him as a guy who, if you wanted to, you could paint as like this now PT Barnum type individual, even though if you've ever heard Scott Coker talk, that's, that's, <laughs> he, he's not a PT Barnum type individual. Anyway, uh, let's do, are you fucking kidding me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Uh, ben, I don't know if you saw this from the weekend. I believe it was MMA fighting reporter <coughs> Dave Doyle who first called my attention to it. But the World Series of Fighting had an event on Saturday night, which most of us skipped because it was sandwiched in between the UFC and Bellator. Uh, and it looked like they maybe rented out one of those multi-use gyms that you see a lot in bigger cities where you can cordon off the gym in, in, in multiple little compartments. And, uh, you know, you can have different things going on at the same time. And Dave Doyle posted a picture on Twitter that made it apparent that World Series of Fighting was having its event in the middle of a women's volleyball practice. Are you fucking kidding me, World <laughs> Series of Fighting? You are putting on a televised mixed martial arts card while some kind of a high school or college volleyball team is having practice on the other side of the curtain. Fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? For sure it was practice, not a game. I think it was practice. People said on Twitter that it was practice. If it was a game, I mean... No way World Series Fighting could compete with that? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, Chad, my are you fucking kidding me? I know you saw it during the Derek Campos-Melvin Yard fight at Bellator 149, but we had a special guest joining us at the broadcast table. Former heavyweight boxing champion Mike Tyson, who... Until recently, was kind of the darling celebrity at UFC events. They put him as a playable character in their most recent game. Then he shows up at competitor Bellator and shows up in a fine lather, it seems. Now, I don't want to make any speculation as to what was going on there with Mike Tyson, uh, but it seemed like maybe he was not in a state of mind where you want to put him on live TV. 
Yeah, it seemed like maybe he had just come from a showing of Delta Farce. It's <laughs> very possible. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Let's just, you know what? Maybe next big Bellator tentpole event, we'll just call it Bellator Loose Cannons. And we'll just let everything roll around on the deck, smashing holes and whatever, and just see what kind of carnage we can create if we just remove any good sense from the entire operation. Are you fucking kidding me? Well, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Meanwhile, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, at the Console Energy Center on Sunday night, a crowd of a little over 7,000 people showed up to watch what was billed as a cowboy versus cowboy event. Now, Chad, what we had here is a card that was decimated by injuries and at least one rare tropical disease and a bunch of late fill-ins, a kind of a patchwork card, and I'm wondering... It seemed like it did not generate a ton of buzz beforehand. You got Cowboy Cerrone going back to the thing where he'll just fight whoever, uh, especially if it ends up being a pretty advantageous matchup for him, as it was here against Alex Oliveira, who he submitted in the first round. And elsewhere, you got a guy like Cody Garbrandt taking on Augusto Mendez, starching him, you know, getting a good little pop from it. But when you have cards like this where it just feels like you're barely holding it together, just trying to find a warm body to put in there, and on a weekend where, as the UFC is in the rare position of not getting a whole lot of shine opposite Bellator, does it just kind of get written off as a wasted weekend that, you know, six days from now, no one even remembers happened? I don't know if I would say it was a waste, but I think it's particularly with the main event, you had a situation where even though... Donald Cerrone getting the win over Alex Oliveira certainly should have been a reminder to all of us exactly how slick that guy can be on the ground, which is something that uh, was more on the on display during his uh, WEC days than it has been really in his UFC days. Uh, the fact that he beat at welterweight another kind of tweener fighter who bounces back and forth between 155 and 170 and a guy in Alex Oliveira who at 28 years of age even though he came into this fight with a three fight win streak seemed like he had overachieved a little bit during that and uh you know a guy who came in on short notice like that doesn't necessarily improve Cowboy Cerrone's standing in the division nor does it particularly improve his uh his place in the eyes of fans uh, but I'm not necessarily sure that it needed to. Um, so while not necessarily being a waste, it was also the kind of fight that kind of reinforces the idea, which I felt like we had been getting away from in, in recent uh, weeks and months, that the UFC is still doing a, a tidal wave of mostly anonymous fight cards a lot of the time. Yeah, and... This one I felt especially had a lot of those elements to it because, for one thing, you're on a Sunday night on Fox Sports 1 uh, on a weekend where there had already been you know more uh, high-profile MMA going on, usually a position that the UFC is never in, usually a position everybody trying to compete with the UFC is in. Uh, and then when you had all the late changes to this card, just basically one at a time, anything that could have been of possible interest picked right off of it uh, and replaced with whatever we could find kind of thing. Uh, it does make it feel like it was just another stop on the tour 
that it was just another uh, part of the schedule that you had to keep up with there. It, it makes me wonder what it does to those guys who are on these fight cards who are trying to climb up those ranks. Uh, you know, not so much guys like Donald Cerrone who, Honestly, I think he can go ahead and do the thing of fighting whoever every two months, every six weeks, whatever he wants to do, and everybody's going to be pretty into it. Um, but guys like Cody Garbrandt or even guys like Derek Brunson or, or Dennis Bermudez or whoever where you're trying to get noticed in a, a difficult spot to get noticed in. Everybody's out there on the same goddamn Reebok stuff anyway. You're really trying hard to, to make yourself stand out, and then you get put on one of these cards where it's just kind of like, well... We're, the show must go on. We're going to go out there and do whatever we can do. Uh, and it's going to be very quickly forgotten by most MMA fans, I think. Yeah, and you're right about Cowboy Cerrone. Like, as you said, the, this victory for him was really instructive only in that it seemed to note his segue back to uh, being the kind of guy who will fight once every two months, which I think is fine for him. And he's not the kind of guy who really needs to win the title, I don't think, weirdly enough. He's a guy that can go on continuing to be extremely popular as long as he's sort of a thorn in the side of UFC matchmakers and, and goes out there and keeps up this tremendous pace that he has kept in the UFC's most uh, competitive division. And now that he's got two divisions he can fight in, you'd think that the pace will only pick up for Donald Cerrone. A dude like Derek Brunson, though, I feel like was able to make the best of his somewhat limited exposure, uh, with his first round, uh, TKO victory. Uh, he's six and one now and, uh, has three first round stoppages right in a row, uh, over, you know, a, a continually increasing level of competition and, uh, is a guy who at middleweight you feel like, uh, could make some noise. And I'm reminded of either last week or a couple weeks ago when we were asked, who could be the breakout fighter in, in their respective weight classes? Uh, Derek Brunson seems like the kind of dude who, if he gets put in the right spots, I guess, i.e. more high-profile spots than the one he got Sunday night, seems like a guy who could make some tracks this year because, he, you know, he seems like a guy who is very quietly putting together uh, a really nice run. Yeah, well, and especially you mentioned the six and one mark, and the the one was Yoel Romero, you know. So that's it's not exactly a bad one to have on your record. You know what I was interested in, and I'm sure you didn't watch this since it was on Fight Pass, but the second fight of the night, Lauren Murphy versus Kelly Fassholtz, uh, and you could hear Lauren Murphy's corner early on in the fight when she's getting kind of stuck in the clinch position up against the fence every once in a while. And you could hear her corner uh, from the lab in uh, Arizona saying. You know, come on, let's let's have a fun fight. Let's have an exciting fight. Uh, and she talked afterwards about how one of her goals was to get a bonus, which she did. They got the fifty thousand dollar fight of the night bonus, uh, which when that goes to a women's bantamweight card on the fight pass prelims, tells you that maybe there were not a whole bunch of spectacular fights on the main card where those bonuses usually go to. But theirs was a pretty a, a good fight, a spirited fight, uh, and it made me wonder about how you could definitely tell that that was. A stated goal of theirs was to go out there and kind of to purposely entertain to, you know, fighting as performance art kind of thing for the benefit, it seemed, of if not getting noticed, then at least, you know, getting one of these bonuses. Uh, and for some reason, once you started to think about them thinking about it, that becomes a really interesting aspect of it. The, that kind of hunger for this bonuses that you, that is out of your control. And while it's sad on one hand because it reminds you like, oh, they're making so little money 
that they really, really have to try to get this, this bonus award in order to make it a financial win for them, uh, to come out of this fight. But it also puts you, uh, in their heads and in their corner in a different kind of way. Uh, and I don't know, especially on a fight card like this where there's not a whole lot of this going on, hearing that and, uh, kind of, you you find yourself the rest of the night in a way rooting for her or rooting for both of them without really realizing you're doing it. And it seems like that's, it's those kind of lower level narratives that end up sticking out to you in cards like this. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's pretty easy to make the argument that if you get booked on a fight pass fight or a Fox sports one preliminary fight on one of these Sunday night fight cards, like maybe the best thing you can do is go out there and try to be entertaining and make a name for yourself that way, which is again, kind of a double edged sword, I think, because uh, we've seen fighters go a long way simply by having that reputation for themselves and, and being the kind of fighter that uh, the UFC seems to want to promote and seems to want to invest in. Uh, and so in a way that kind of makes you root for someone like Lauren Murphy or Ashley Evan Smith that you can, you know, you can think that maybe that these person who people who deserve a break might get one from the promoter. But <coughs> the reason I say it's a double edged sword is it also re reaffirms and reminds you whose game we're playing here. Right. Like the, and everything about this industry is set up to traffic in the direction and to the benefit of the promoter. And it blurs the line between sports and entertainment. And if you're a fighter going out there as part of your professional career and thinking, well, the best that I can do here is to go out and put on an exciting fight to hopefully impress my boss because a, maybe he will give me a fat check. Uh, and B, maybe he will come to think of me as someone who will get fat checks in the future. Like that's kind of shitty. It is from when you think of it that way. Yes, it is. Thanks for, for bringing everybody down. Just wanted to rain on everybody's parade here as we typically do in round two. But you know what? We're going to bring them up again, right? Round three. Go. Once we start talking about Anderson Silva versus Mike Bisping. Yeah. So don't turn it off now. That is going to be a rip roaring good time coming up in round three. And that starts right now. Well, Ben, this weekend from the O2 Arena in London, England, we get UFC Fight Night 84, Silva versus Bisping, featuring a main event fight that at one time probably could have been a fairly lucrative uh, pay-per-view main event for the UFC, and now finds itself as more of a bell cow fight for the FightPass.com, I guess you would say. Uh, a what? A bell cow? It's uh, a thing that is designed to draw the other animals to it. Okay. Uh, so you get Anderson Silva. The animals in this case are fighters? Or are we the animals? We're the animals, dude. Okay. You are the animal. All right. I am the animal that lives free and easy outside the fence. Riding the range. That's what that's what you look like in your glasses right now. Everything about these glasses say riding the range. The free and easy lifestyle. Um I'm primarily interested in this fight to see which version of Anderson Silva shows up. You? 
Yeah, uh, I'm interested in that. I'm also, I can't help but be interested in the Twilight Zone nature of the wish fulfillment here for Michael Bisping, who spent so many years telling us that he wanted to challenge for the middleweight title and be the UFC middleweight champion someday. And we all said, dude, don't you realize that would require fighting Anderson Silva, who would straight up murder you? Like, be careful what you wish for, Michael Bisping. And he didn't get it. And we all assumed that he would have lost anyway. And now he's getting it at a time when it no longer means the same thing. uh, And yet still seems, if not just as dangerous, still pretty damn dangerous for him. Uh, And it it just seems like, isn't that just Michael Bisping's luck in the UFC? Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing will be the extent to which Anderson Silva is able to show up looking dangerous. Like, uh, we talk a lot on this show, or at least we have numerous times before about how MMA is the kind of sport where you show up looking old in one night. And it was certainly uh, a steep drop off for Anderson Silva to go from, you know, looking like his old video game, uh, character out of the matrix self when he, he beats up Stefan Bonner back in October of 2012 to then, uh, having the back to back appearances against Chris Weidman, where he certainly looked, a lot more mortal all of a sudden uh, and then suffered the terrible leg fracture, which was nearly career ending and, and uh, precipitated or forced him to take some time off from the sport to recover. And then he comes in with the fight against Nick Diaz, which, I mean, I think we can all agree that if the Anderson Silva of old showed up and, and fought Nick Diaz, you wouldn't be dealing with a five round decision. Uh, you probably would have been dealing with some terrible violence that ended with Anderson Silva getting his hand raised. Uh, Nick Diaz, certainly a very, very tough dude who you can't take anything away from. Uh, they ended up having, if nothing else, a bizarrely entertaining fight. But in the wake of it, Anderson Silva tests positive for a couple of different steroids. Nick Diaz tests positive for marijuana. Uh, kind of turned the whole thing into uh, a circus, to be honest with you. So now we get this this fight uh, with Michael Bisping. Uh, more than a year removed from that Nick Diaz fight. So I think you're right in the idea that if, if the, if the Anderson Silva who terrorized the middleweight division for so many years shows up to fight Michael Bisping, that's going to be an extremely bad matchup for Michael Bisping, a matchup that we all tried to protect Michael Bisping from for so many years. But I feel like if a listless 40 year old version of Anderson Silva who just doesn't have it anymore shows up, uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Michael Bisping could salt away a Michael Bisping style unanimous decision. Yeah, I I guess that's true. Uh, And then what would that mean for Michael Bisping? See, that's another interesting question because uh, I suppose it used to be that fighting Anderson Silva would be the Holy grail of the middleweight division that you would be in a pay-per-view main event. You would make a lot of money. You would get a shot at the title. Uh, Now we're having this fight on the fightpass.com against some version of Anderson Silva who, like I said, remains a mystery until fight night, may remain a mystery during the fight, considering how we've seen him fight in the past. And so for Michael Bisping, I guess it's a big win for him, right? If he does it, even even if he just does it on the UFC's digital streaming service, but at the same time, it's, it's not as meaningful as it once was. Yeah. Uh, a part of me wondered, did they book this fight at this time because they felt like, all right, you know, it's kind of a paint-by-numbers from a promotional standpoint, right? You put Michael Bisping against Anderson Silva right after Anderson Silva has kind of embarrassed himself in front of the Nevada State Athletic Commission by defending his positive drug test uh, with the 
blue tie sex juice defense. Yeah, keep that away from Manny Newton because he did not need it. Um, you and you think, all right, he's still Anderson Silva. You're gonna book him against some other middleweights and. They won't really want to want to go after him on that and hammer him on that issue because there's still a bit of reverence for Anderson Silva out there. Oh, I know. Let's give this one to Bisping. Bisping will take it and run with it to a kind of ridiculous extent where he's always making some kind of remark about how he hears that Anderson Silva isn't that hard these days uh, and just managing to work it into every single interview. And you think, all right. You, you knew it was going to play out like this. You knew Bisping, he he has to form some kind of feud with absolutely everybody he fights. He's, and he's going to seize on kind of the easiest thing that he can. He's already got this long track record of having to fight so many guys who are uh, abusing uh, performance-enhancing drugs, whether legally or illegally. You put him in there against Anderson Silva, and you know he's going to make a bunch of impotence jokes all the way up to fight night. And that's what he's doing. The only thing that's really holding it back is that Anderson Silva seems to have a pretty great way of dealing with it, where he's just like, give me a hug. And you're like, okay, kind of game over for Michael Bisping. It's not really going the way you want here. Well, it does seem like a loaded match to make, and (coughs) certainly a match that, if you think that deeply about it, yeah, the UFC invites a lot of... uh, speculation and criticism i guess of anderson silva simply by making this fight uh but i also wonder like maybe it's not necessarily a situation where they were thinking that deeply about it i mean you you have a a a reality where you need to find anderson silva some fights i don't think you can match anderson silva up against any of the top contenders in the middleweight division considering you know what he's been through and what we've seen of him so far the same thing might be true of michael bisping at this point in his career, and uh, you know, the, this is a fight between two guys who you would think still have some marketability left. Two guys who have have always we have always kind of had it kicking around in the back of our mind that we would end that they would end up fighting. And so, I think from a pure X's and O's standpoint, if you will, it's kind of a fight that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the what did you call it? Bell cow? Yes. Uh, for a fight pass. Yes. Uh, is it working on you? I mean, I think this is a good fight for fight pass. I, I probably am not, am not going to get it, get fight pass just to watch this fight, but I think you have to get, you have to give Eric winter, the new head of fight pass some credit. And I think you have to give the product of fight pass some credit. Uh, it seems like it's trying to do whatever it can to become, a more marketable commodity, a better deal for fight fans, something that will interest fight fans, and maybe trying to separate itself a little bit uh, from the notion that I had of it when it first started, and that was as uh, a platform where the UFC could monetize all of the garbage that it couldn't monetize any other way. Because clearly Anderson Silva and Michael Bisping is not that. Anderson Silva and Michael Bisping is a legitimately good fight uh, and a fight that would be worth it to pay for to watch. I just don't know that I'm going to be able to do it this weekend. Uh, so, yeah, man, I'm, I mean, am I coming around on Fight Pass ever slightly? It seems like a better deal now than it was before. I still can't fully divorce myself from the idea of how awesome it would be and how much I would pay for it if they just went ahead and gave me everything. But, uh yeah, it's, it's, I mean, and clearly it's the future, right? I've said that since the beginning. Like, someday everything will be on Fight Pass, and Fight Pass will be everything. Yeah, well, and to me, that's one of the problems with it now, such that there there is one, is that uh, 
you, if you could tell me that Fight Pass was the only thing I needed to watch the UFC, then that would really drastically change the the value proposition. Oh yeah, man! I would. I think I've said it before on this on this show. I I could pay a hundred dollars a month for Fight Pass if it gave me everything, and I would still save so much money because of how it would save me on my cable bill and on pay per view and all kinds of different stuff. So yeah, it's a, like. Price is not the issue here. It's what what I'm getting in return for for any amount of money at all. Yeah. Well, and we've talked before about how uh, you also, if you're the UFC or if you're a fan looking at buying this, is if you're looking at them as ten dollar pay per views, uh, which when you don't have a fight pass event every single month, uh, you know you it's a lot easier or a lot harder to keep from just making this value judgment on each one of these cards and looking at it top to bottom and going, okay, is this, is this a good $10 pay-per-view? Would I pay $10 just to watch this card? Uh, and this is one where I feel like just because of the headliner, and you got one or two other interesting bouts on the, the main card, you know, you got the young Vagabond, Gigard Musasi on there against Tallis Latus, uh, but not a whole lot else. If you're thinking, would I pay $10 to watch Anderson Silva versus Michael Bisping? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I would. Probably would. And then, of course, I think you get a $5 rebate back if you watch Looking for a Fight. <coughs> right? The Dana White reality it, show. They send you some money for watching that. I think you but you have to go on and leave a Yelp review for some of the restaurants. They ought to be paying you to watch it. That's all I know. <laughs> anyway, that's going to do it uh, for this round about Anderson Silva versus Michael Bisping. Ben, let's do Just Saying Stuff. Like we do at the end of the show every week, and then let's get out of here. As everybody knows, just saying stuff, the portion of the show where Ben and I make statements that we are then not asked to back up or defend in any way, uh, because we are, in fact, just saying stuff. Just saying. Ben, what's your just saying stuff for this week? Okay, my just saying stuff, I'm taking a little different approach here. It's a little bit interactive. Okay. So it requires your participation. I'm ready. I am going to read off the pairings in three undercard prelim bouts from this upcoming Fight Pass event in okay. London. One of them is fake. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. You have to Wait, pick out... hold on. Are the fighters going to be real, or are you just going to make it make up names? I have made up two... As, long, as far as I know, I have made up two names. So one of the fights that you read off will be completely fabricated in all ways. Completely okay. fake. Okay. All right. I'm going to fail this so hard. Are you ready? Yes. Number one. Timu Pakalin versus Tibalt Guti. Okay. Number two. That sounds real enough. Magnus Carlson versus Daniel Baker. Okay. Number three. David Timu versus Martin Svensson. Ooh. Um, boy, those all sound like such real UFC fighter names. You're good at this. Yeah. You should be a Thank writer. You. Thank you. I'm going to go with number one as the fake fight. Nope. Ah! Timu Pakalin and Tybalt Guti. That is an actual fight. That is the second fight. A couple lightweights on the prelims. However, Magnus Carlson and Daniel Baker, not actual UFC fighters as far as I know. See, I should have gone with that one because my first, when you said Magnus Carlson, I was like, sounds too much like a world's strongest man con- Well, see, I saw Martin Svensson and I was like, okay, no, they did put some Nordic asshole on this thing. Let me come up with another name like that uh, and then just throw in a generic name that'll fool Chad. He won't even hear the sounds. All right, so what are you just saying? I'm just saying, don't you think that that tells us something about... The, the approach, at least, to the prelims of these, because I oh, what I did is I looked and I saw who doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Let me take those guys and then just make up some other guys that sound like those guys. 
uh, and you won't really be able to tell the difference. I'm just saying, I think I could probably make up a fictional UFC fight night event on a fight pass. I could, I can make up the prelims entirely. I could tell you that they happened, and you at least, Chad Dundas, you'd never even know that I was making it all up. In fairness, you could you could have said Tom Breeze versus Kita Nakamura, which was on the main card, and I would have been just <laughs> just as fucked. Well, Ben, <clears throat> do you remember? That boat salvage yard where Kimbo Slice had a bunch of his YouTube street fights. Do I? This week, I'm just saying, at this point, Bellator is basically that salvage yard. Because if you're going to put on fights that look like Kimbo versus Dada, man, you might as well park a bunch of boats around the outskirts of the arena and get Icy Mike and Adrian and Sean Gannon to all come watch. Just a bunch of dudes in the front row yelling, Get him, Ferg! I'm just saying. Just saying. That's going to do it for the co-main event podcast this week. If you have questions or comments, you know how to get a hold of us. We'll be back next week to break down all the stuff that happens at Bisping versus uh, Silva. And then we'll be looking ahead to to, uh, Connor versus RDA. Is that the next weekend? Yes. Time flies. Man, when you're having fun. As for right now, though, we're done. We're through. We're out. Here's what I wonder about the boat salvage thing. Do you think that long-term... That hurt the credibility of the boat salvage yard. You, well, do you think people were watching it in the Miami area, watching those YouTube videos, and being like, "Oh, I know that. That's Wayne Salvage Yard." Oh man, I'm not gonna leave my boat.